Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Paul Milon, Head of Stewardship in the Asia-Pacific region for BNP Paribas Asset Management. Now, for those of you who might not be familiar with uh, Heads of Stewardship, Paul is uh, part of our Sustainability Center uh, and is responsible for managing proxy voting with companies we invest in, engages with companies around ESG initiatives and programs, uh, and finally works with governments on public policy uh, around ESG topics. So a very broad remit, I'm sure quite an exciting time to be in Asia working on these topics. Uh, we've been speaking a lot recently around ESG. For example, last week's podcast was on the UN International Day for Biological Diversity and what BMP is doing around that. We had set the context for that particular discussion around the broad increase in awareness that we've seen not only over the last several years for ESG topics, but even as a consequence of the pandemic. As one of the things that's happened is we've become, if anything, quite aware of what's happening globally uh, and certainly the, the risks that we face, uh, be it from uh, medical occurrences like with the pandemic or certainly from, from climate change. So a lot of things to discuss, Paul. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, first question then, you are based in Asia, uh, and I would imagine the perspective from there is somewhat different from what we assume it is in Europe. So could you please share with us some of the trends that you see there in terms of how sustainable investment and stewardship is picking up in the region? Hi, Daniel, and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, so it's quite exciting time indeed to be in Asia, and um, while sustainable investment um, was not so much of a topic until you know recent years. We've seen a strong pickup uh, recently, and if we look just last year in uh, the end of the year, we saw uh, successively China, uh, then Japan, then South Korea uh, making net zero pledges. Uh, so net zero by 2050 for Japan and South Korea, and by 2060 for China, uh, which is really a sign that sustainable investment is catching up uh, with a particular uh, angle on climate change. Uh, and when we talk about climate change, it's really an area where Asia is considerably impacted in terms of physical risks, such as more natural disasters. You can think of the number of typhoons and droughts that the region has experienced. And if we look ahead uh, of the potential consequences of climate change, if uh, we look at floods, for instance, according to WWF, uh, failing to achieve climate objectives could mean that the number of people flooded annually in South Asia alone could increase from 13 million to 94 million. It's a region that is really impacted uh, by climate change. At the same time, it's also a region that has a very big impact uh, on climate. For instance, China alone contributed to over 27% of the total greenhouse gas emissions, which is far ahead of the US with 11%. Of course, if we take it on a per capita basis, then the US are still well ahead. So as Asia is also a region with a higher growth than the European Union or the US, we can also think that emissions are expected to keep increasing if we don't manage to decouple carbon emissions from economic growth. To put it very simply, we can't achieve the climate goals, the global climate goals, without leadership from Asia, including China as the largest global greenhouse gas emitter in the world. So these pledges that we've seen are very important. They set the direction of travel for corporates, for regulators, towards what we need to achieve, which is net zero. And hence, they indicate how business models from companies should evolve to align with these national objectives. 
And for us in our engagement activities, it's something that is very important because it helps to facilitate the dialogues with uh, the companies that we invest in. For instance, if we take the China example, after the net zero pledges, we've seen a number of Chinese companies in a wide range of sectors from the energy sector all the way to financials announcing their intention to align with China's uh, net zero emission goals. Yes, those are all quite uh, challenging and interesting topics that I'm sure you're dealing with on a daily basis. So the EU has been leading in terms of regulatory development, such as SFDR, which of course is a sustainable finance disclosure regulation. Uh, Are you seeing the same or similar developments in Asia? Yes, indeed. So if we look at regulatory developments, EU has been leading you know, for a number of years. Uh, but what we see today is that Asia is catching up in a number of markets. And we see regulators in countries and uh, regulations across the region uh, retaking uh, an active role in developing uh, regulations, sometimes taking inspiration from what is being done uh, in Europe. So for instance, in Asia, we are involved uh, in uh, Singapore with the central bank, so the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Uh, with their Green Finance Industry Task Force, which is basically a group of um, industry players who help uh, the MAS to develop uh, their sustainable financial regulation. This group has led, for instance, the publication end of last year or end of environmental risk management guidelines, which sets some uh, requirements for uh, asset managers, for banks, for insurers who operate in Singapore in terms of integrating environmental risk in the way um, they run their business. If we look at another uh, area of the region, in Hong Kong, uh, the Securities and Futures Commission, so the uh, local regulator, has set up a technical expert group, which helps to advise them on potential uh, changes to regulation and enhancement to regulation. And as a result, they came up with a consultation in terms of how climate risk should be integrated by asset managers operating uh, in the region. So we are seeing a lot of progress from regulators across the board. And one of the new areas that uh, we think regulators will be increasingly looking at is all that concerns the product uh, labeling and fighting the risk of green or ESG washing. Uh, This is an area where similar to what happened in Europe with the SFDR, where we now have some classification of funds uh, based on their sustainability objectives. We think more and more the regulators in the region will be keen uh, to make it clear which funds are sustainable and which ones are not in order to help protect uh, investors uh, who are interested in sustainable financial products. Now, of course, one of the other very big topics that we're all thinking a lot about is energy transition, uh, moving from fossil fuels to more sustainable sources of energy. Can you tell us a bit more about your engagement activities in the region around energy transition? Yes, definitely. So the energy transition is a key pillar of our approach at BNP Paribas Asset Management. And in the region, we've been active in a number of ways. Uh, One of them is through the Climate Action 100+. So this is an initiative where investors, asset managers, asset owners engage with the 100 largest emitters of greenhouse gas in the world including the ones based in Asia. In Asia, we are lead or co-lead for engagement for three companies in the region. And to illustrate again the point uh, that I made about net zero and how then the companies align with the national climate goals, we have been engaging with Sinopec, uh, which is a Chinese energy uh, company. Um, And in the context of President Xi Jinping's 
the China's president, uh, announcement of China's uh, net zero by 2060 pledge. The company has now announced its intention to target net zero as well and is looking at concrete ways to first peak its carbon emissions and then deliver on a net zero objective, including via research projects which can cover areas such as uh, green hydrogen. Besides Climate Action 100 Plus, which is really a flagship initiative, we have also been engaging with Asian electric utilities companies as part of our coal policy. So in our coal policy, we uh, don't invest in companies that are active in uh, thermal coal mining, but we also uh, target power generation with the objective of investing in companies that are aligned in terms of the carbon intensity of their power generation. So how carbon intensive is the electricity that you produce that are aligning the, this carbon intensity with the trajectory of the Paris uh, Agreement. And here, Asian electric utilities really have a critical role to play in achieving both the local and international climate goals. Indeed, they represent a staggering 23% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And this is due to the fact that historically, a lot of the power that has been generated in Asia has been generated out of coal, so using thermal coal to generate it. So here, there is an opportunity for us to engage with these companies to identify which companies are actively reducing their reliance on coal and synchronizing their carbon intensity of power generation with a Paris-aligned trajectory so that basically we can keep investing in the companies that are credibly actively aligning themselves and stop investing in the ones that are not uh, making you know, sufficient uh, efforts in reducing their carbon intensity. Now, of course, you're involved in all aspects of, of ESG. So it's, of course, much more than just the environment. There's the social aspects and there's governance. And along the governance angle, uh, I believe Asian companies tend to have lower female representation in senior management and at the board level. How do you go about promoting greater gender diversity on boards? and across companies in the region? So indeed, a lot of countries and companies in Asia tend to have a lower gender diversity uh, at the board. Uh, this has been you know, changing, but slower probably than it has been in Europe, uh, for instance. So here uh, at BNP Paribas Asset Management, we have as part of our uh, voting policy an expectation to have 30% gender diversity at the board for companies that are based in North America, in the European Union or in Australia and New Zealand. What we've done for the rest of the world, we used to have an expectation of at least one female board member. This year, we have increased this expectation to 15% female board member. Um, and this covers Asia and the rest of emerging markets. And here, similarly to what we are doing in Europe and North America, we have been engaging with a number of portfolio companies uh, that are key holdings in our portfolios ahead of their annual shareholder voting season. So basically, we engage, we select the companies that already have some level of gender diversity, let's say between 10 and 15%, but that currently fail to meet our 15% threshold. We contact them, we share our expectation, and this helps us to initiate a dialogue, which has been a real way for us to discuss their strategy to promote not only board gender diversity, but also the broader diversity and inclusion topics across the firm. Following this engagement, we have already a few companies that have decided to align their gender diversity uh, efforts at the board with our expectations, or that have committed to do so within the next two years. So let's turn back to a more environmental related question. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, 
uh, we've recently been talking quite a bit about biodiversity and in general that's been coming to the forefront. Is this also an area that you've been looking at? Yes, so I think it is fair to say that biodiversity and broader kind of sustainability issues have been lower on the agenda compared to climate change for a number of companies in the region. But this is something that we are increasingly addressing in our investments because here again, Asia has both a high impact and high dependencies on natural ecosystem. For instance, talking about forests, taking about water. So forest and the risk of, you know, uh, related to deforestation is a well-documented area with deforestation risk related to palm oil or timber plantations. But water is also a big topic in the region where companies' operations are at risk of disruption from either water scarcity or on the other side of the spectrum, a water excess. So every year we have droughts in parts of India that have been halting production for the beverage industry, for instance. Uh, and recently in Taiwan, we were talking about a drought that led the local governments to prioritize water access to the local population, which has affected the water-intensive semiconductors industry. Asia is also vulnerable to natural disasters due to an excess of water, as you may remember from the 2011 floods in Thailand, which have disrupted the supply chain for global car makers and electronic companies. Lastly, it's important to note that with many key Asian cities that sit in coastal areas, typhoons and sea level rise can have a material business implication for companies. One of the initiatives that we are currently working on together with the CDP, formerly known as the Carbon Disclosure Project, um, is working with their recently launched Water Champions and Forest Champions initiatives, which aim to engage with portfolio companies which have a high impact and reliance on water and forest in order to encourage these portfolio companies to better integrate these issues in their strategy, to improve their practices and enhance disclosure for investors. Thanks very much, Paul. If I can summarize uh, some of the very many things you seem to be working on in the region, you pointed out uh, at the beginning how important Asia is when we think about success with ESG, uh, not only because of the its economic weight in the world and China in particular, uh, but it's also very much affected by, by climate change, the frequency of typhoons, the severity of flooding. So very much uh, a crucial issue for governments and for people in the region. You pointed out uh, that progress is being made recently, the net zero pledges from China, Korea and others. Progress that's being made on the regulatory front uh, and that you've been working very diligently to promote energy transition, particularly as the region is quite dependent on coal as a source of energy, which obviously uh, has negative consequences for the environment and would like to reduce that dependence. Also working on increasing gender diversity in senior management and improving the awareness of the importance and risks from uh, a deterioration of biodiversity. Well, that's all we have for today, unfortunately. If you'd like more information, please check out our Investors Corner blog or reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks to Paul for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Victoria Whitehead to discuss European credit markets. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice 
or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.